There's a lot of discussion these days about deconstructing health plans. What does that mean, and how does it actually work? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. As we've discussed on the podcast before, there's a small group of advisors across the country who are working on deconstructing health insurance and employee benefits. We've invited Robson Baker, an advisor at Claris Benefits Group, to talk about what needs to be deconstructed, what needs to be constructed in its place, and how you get there. And so with that, welcome, Robson. Hello, David. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. So you kind of have had a long and diverse path to getting to the work you're doing today. But I think in a lot of ways, it may have informed your, your thought processes. So would you share a little bit of that path with us, please? Yeah, no problem. It's kind of the funny thing to to wind up loving what you do way late in life. But after graduating University of Texas, I was finding myself enamored with the idea of moving to Alaska and just enjoyed that incredible experience. Got into home building, kind of sort of living on the edge. That job took me lots of great places, seeing lots of great things, and into then the ultimate of moving out. Back to Houston, back to Galveston, and getting back here, you know, I found that I was pl- placing myself with a lot of business owners through selling cars, working for myself, and it was just all those experiences of just people got me in a by chance opportunity to meet the principal here at Claris and found a job that I ended up loving, and it's kind of a funny path of how. I could have been anywhere and I'm sitting here now with you talking about what we're trying to do as an industry and then also locally here in the Houston area trying to make some major impacts for employers and ultimately their employees. I know along the way you also sold Mercedes. Did that did that teach you anything about how to 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 talk to clients? Yes, it was it's 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 always, you know, that was selling something. And I think that those high-end nice cars was a way to still be a professional, but still trying to kind of get to a close, get them into something that they wanted, they liked. But you were dealing with very high, high-profile people, really intelligent people. And I think that, that those interactions and knowing how to respond and to accelerate their decision-making process and being a part of that definitely helps here because it's the same type of buyer is with healthcare, where we speak to the CEOs, executives, HR directors, and they're very, very smart people. And they're kind of dealing with a, a product with health insurance much, much the same way. They, you know, they, they don't understand all the inner workings of the car, but they know it's really important to them. So it was, it's been fun. Before we get into talking more about deconstructing health insurance and whatnot, I know you also had a personal experience with the medical system and that, that was a huge influencer on you. Would you, would you share that with the audience? 
Oh, David, that's probably the where it all turned. I, I, I took it 180. My experience was being able to know that I had an accident in Alaska playing soccer and probably the most terrible pitch that ever existed. I heard the loudest pop and it was then 15 years later, two and a half years ago now, where I had to get my ACL replaced. And it's no one wants a surgery, but thinking thinking what I thought I knew then, I was probably one of the more educated people to get through the system. You know, I pick a doctor because he went to school with my wife. I find a hospital because it's somewhat close to me. You know, I didn't have the tools and resources to really make a decision around quality cost, but boy, did I learn so much. You know, I get my ACL surgery and ask all the right questions. And at the end of it all, everything worked out well. And of course, the doctor did a great job, but I ended up getting balanced bill for $7,900 for an assistant surgeon. And that was infuriating because when I had my explanation of benefits come to me, I looked at my wife and I said, this is an absolute outrage. And that then made me think, well, what happens to the people who don't know how to do, deal with this, don't have the money, don't have the time. And luckily it all worked out by being able to really work hard to drive those costs down and ultimately have my doctor friend talk to the assistant surgeon and get, you know, all of it down to like $200. You know, it's unbelievable. And it's, it was extremely frustrating. And it was that epiphany of if it's happening to me, I know it's happening to everybody else. And that's terribly unfortunate. Well, it's as my friend Dave says, you know, everybody gets their turn on the wheel. The, the, The deal is, you know, what do you learn from it and how do you apply it? And that's a great place, I think, in our conversation to branch into the question of deconstructing health insurance. So what needs to be deconstructed? First of all, what does that mean? What needs to be constructed and how do you get there? What deconstruction means? I mean, I guess I look at it from the construction side of, you know, building houses and, you know, being able to see the plans, put the pieces together and know what the end product looks like in my mind. But I think that what's happened is that our insurance products that we see from the major carriers, they have it in such a black box that no one, very few people understand it or have an opportunity to to be able to see it. But luckily, as a group of advisors across the country, we, we realize that through independent TPAs, independent pharmacy, and all the minor components within the health insurance block, we can start chipping away and finding these large segments. And I think that deconstructing health insurance is essential because we have it's we have to put it back together better, focused on the employer, ultimately the employee. And I think there's just been, of course, the misalignments that we we see, we read about you know, that shock us even today in our industry. It's unfortunate, but the only way to kind of rebuild this almost broken system is to take it all apart, bring it all back together, and create as little friction and noise for the employees who would end up using it. So, Part of the challenge of that, though, isn't it, it being with smaller corporations and smaller entities, you really can't do that on a fully insured basis, can you? I mean, you've got to you've got to kind of go self insured. Well, and that's kind of my next step is is this decision making process of the individual. You know, we have to maybe deconstruct the mindset of the individual employee person using health insurance. You know, I think the employer has a responsibility to to work with their advisors to create education platforms and ways to be able to break the complex information into smaller manageable parts. We're asking these employees to to know 
way, way too much about something that even their employer rarely even has any clue about. So I think deconstructing health insurance is just sheer education for the employee person as well. Right. But I mean, if, if you go to a 20 person group and you start having this conversation, can they implement some of these strategies once they deconstruct? Can they implement some of these strategies if they're, if they're in a fully insured mindset and intend to stay there? Dave, that, that, that's a tough question because it, the last thing I want to say is no, because I know that there's opportunity, but just the way that a lot of these systems have been built, I mean, just, just the risk factors that maybe a 20 person group has, you know, there's just such high cost, high risk for the insured providers to really put that together. So that's kind of where I think we've seen a lot of the, the health health shares, you know, the ones that are, you know, faith-based or non-faith-based, we're seeing a little bit more of that, but it's hard because how does an employer of 20 employees tell their employees, Hey, we're going to rebuild healthcare and it's going to look and feel completely different. And do they have the time? I mean, do they have the capacity to do that? So we're trying to bring down and with some solutions out there, we're getting into level funded products that are down in smaller pieces, sorry, smaller employer group sizes, but it's, it's tough for the fully insured. I mean, I, I know we, we talk about it a lot, and I think it's really first and foremost is the education. Do you think as we go into the future that uh, there will be enough downward pressure on some of the carriers or maybe some new innovative carriers will pop up who will take this kind of a deconstructed approach? Because right now with the majors, you just unless you go into a level-funded product or something like that, you just don't see it. I think it's just that it's challenging because – a small group could still have a million dollar claim that could just strike them out of some, you know, a, a, a brain injury, a brain, you know, some sort of major medical event happening. And, and I think that even if we were to deconstruct it, how do we then sh- shift that cost and where does it go? So that's, that's the challenge I see. I mean, there are some interesting products that are out there where there's almost like healthcare on demand where, individuals right but that's still on the self-insured side of it so i'm challenged on the small group most of my focus though is in that 50 75 that's probably the lower end up to the about 2000 you know that's where i really spend a lot of my time and i try to bring people at least their awareness of why it's important to look into alternative funding strategies so that they can be a part of the conversation because that person needs to be aware of it so that when products do arrive that are sound and solid, they're able to then make that decision quicker, which would then ultimately benefit their employees and most likely lower their cost. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years experience working with educational institutions. And over that time, They've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution 
to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health Solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, I know one of the things that you work on and you talk about a lot is pushing the limits on transparency. There are some folks who think that if we just have transparency, the angels will sing and the skies will open and everything will be great. Is that your opinion? Do you share that opinion? Or is that just one component? I think that's a piece of it. Because the sheer transparency of every single piece of this puzzle is going to be hard to get to. I think the, I think what people want, maybe I'm, maybe what I should say what I would want out of transparency is to know that I did I wouldn't get balanced build that 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 I would I would have known that there would have been a third party out of network individual and that that cost would have been x but when we get these surprise bills I think we're trying to fight the surprise bills and thinking that transparency would happen and just as confusing as we saw all of the hospitals have to show their prices with those complex codes and two columns of excel spreadsheet it didn't help being transparent. We have to be able to use that and make it understandable. As you know, there's there's legislation now in Congress about surprise billing. And, and so clearly it's a problem that's risen to a national level, at least to national attention. I'd call it a national attention. I'm under the idea that that we're in a free market society that allows us to work very hard to deliver value. I, do, I don't think the largest problems that the America faces always has to go to the governmental level. It's a lot of the intermediaries that made it a problem. And we, sh- we as an industry, as a group, should recognize that and really work to start shining a light on ourselves and having our own transparency You know, when it comes to our fees and explaining how this all works to people. I am still surprised that employers who spend millions of dollars in health insurance really don't know how much we get paid. Why do you think that is? Because it's a lot of money. It's, 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 it's a substantial amount of money that agencies are able to make in big, regional, local, whatever size you are. There's just, there's just a lot of money in it. And, and if you can deliver a quality consult, quality product supported by a lot of non-insurance solutions, it's, it's, it doesn't become expensive because you're able to deliver the greatest value. But when you visit with someone rarely, you're not working hard to be able to find alternative solutions to their problems you're just making money. And I always joke, but it's kind of like they're just extending their runways on their ranches so that they can, their bigger planes can come and land. It's, it's complicated. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I I know success will happen when I have a bunch of other advisors frustrated at me for having their clients ask them about how much they get paid. So disclosure of compensation is, you believe it's a, it's a component of de- the process of deconstructing? It has to be because otherwise, why do we offer or why do agencies offer so few solutions? Do you think that once we start disclosing compensation that the percentage of savings models that some advisors are talking to clients about will become more prominent? I hope so because by building those programs where we're incentivized to create savings are great. We still haven't addressed does the employer or and is the employer prepared to approach healthcare differently? So I think it's just creating that alignment and being able to to let them know how you get paid and 
and that we want to work with you, sit on your side of the table. And I think compensation in our industry is the fastest way to do it because we are asking employers to, to really get a divorce, break up with their current broker. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I know that there are some advisors who are out there who are, who are saying, at least as an initial exploit, for lack of a better word, or part of their process, don't break up with your current broker. Hire me as a consultant for the first year to to kind of eliminate that, the friction of, well, gee, but my current broker is my wife's second cousin's nephew or something. And then working their way into, in the second year saying, well, look at all the money my product, my product saved you. I'll take over that role. Here's how I'll be compensated. I don't know if that's a strategy that works in your market or if it's something that you feel good about. Yes, it's definitely, that, that's also something that I've kind of changed my approach because it's really helping that first part. And, and and the problem is that while we can come in and do the consulting on the front end, an employer sometimes hasn't budgeted another consultant to take take on these parts. And then secondly, not all of the solutions that are out there are built to create the protection for that consultant. So there is a little bit of complexity when it comes into the ownership of the solution, but there are ones that are out there. So it's it's important, but you know, again, the transparency of just how health insurance is made. I mean, I look at how the supercomputers of the late mid seventies, and that that's how TPAs kind of came to be to process claims faster and easier. And then just the consolidation of all the other components in healthcare and tying it to health insurance. It just it's just a monolith that we have to explain that you can be able to find the other parts, peel back that curtain, break up that insurance, and just educate. Education is, is, is I think, lacking on a basis across the country when it comes to how health insurance works. The impact you see on, on your, your bottom line is there, but people don't know what they quote-unquote don't know because no one's wanting to teach them. Well, and and. and- when we talk about education, one of the things that I know that you're involved in that I want to make sure we spend some time talking about is you've been involved with some efforts to create university-level education programs, and those those are industry-facing or industry-practitioner-facing. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what, what you're doing in that regard and why you think that's important and will make a difference? Yeah, the, the University of Lynchburg at Virginia, with the direction of Tom Scott, was able to build – th- the nation's first health benefit design master's program for advisors, HR executives, business executives, anybody who wants to take the time and energy to learn how it's built and how you can be able to build it better. It's very applicable to my business. It it fits my schedule, but it also is something that I work to grasp that information and then be able to share it with my community. So I'm taking some of these, the things I'm learning there and elsewhere and really turning it around and trying to educate my entire, all the employers, prospects, clients, not clients, you know, everybody, because we need it. And at an industry, sorry, at a university level, it's rare to have that. It's rare to have a relevant course that's lively, timely, and evolving. So I think what they've done there at that university, I've really enjoyed being a part of trying to help frame the coursework and bring in some of the really smart and creative solution vendors. It's been it, it, it's it's been a lot of work, very enjoyable, and I'm taking it my, myself right now. And last week was mind blowing, just wow. And the challenge here is that as, as soon as you think you know something, there's so much more to know. There's so many parts to this. So the university master's degree is very exciting, and I think it will also create a differentiator 
for the advisors out there. And that's what we're really trying to be able to do is come out and be, be the best consultant we can for our clients. And I think the education is huge. We'll put a link to that program in the show notes so that, so that if people are interested, they can find out more about it and find out how to get involved. I know one of the things in the couple of minutes that we have left is, is you said to me during the pre-interview that your personal mission is destroying mediocrity. Tell me what that means and, and, and how you go about it. Clearly, the, the program at the University of Virginia is one of those things, but what, what does that all entail? Well, I guess it's, I've, I've just have said it and say it and say it, and it's, I work in an industry overcompensated for mediocrity. And I think it's because there's such a little request from the employer because they're in the dark. The mediocrity that I believe that occurs that I'm trying to destroy is our lack of effort. Maybe industry-wide, and I know everyone works as hard as they think they're working, but there's so much more we can be able to do. I don't believe there's a lot of accountability. I don't believe there's a lot of timetables of work. I think there's a lot of, we do great service, we'll see in a few months. And I knew that that's how I used to be in my first two years of business. It was, I didn't know any better. I believe that mediocrity just is, is, is really the detriment in why these rates keep increasing because we don't, we aren't incentivized or inclined to want to create savings because we get paid a percentage on top of the, sorry, on top of the revenue year after year with our clients. So it's, it's really all part of the same mission, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's. The personal mission of myself is when I, and when I realized that it was the employees who I wanted to help, it was those folks who are the average American with the average bills and the average earning are unable to afford the insurance that they're given across America. We, we see the statistics and we, we see the graphs that come out and, and the information there. So when I realized I needed to help them, the executives, the employers, those ex- at the top level, they were kind of just in the way. When they could partner with what we're doing, that is the very best. But I can't fix stupid, but I can sure, surely try to be able to help educate and enlighten and create the awareness. Because after the awareness, we're moving into consideration. And a consideration now is when they're able to make some very better, much better decisions. A great place to leave our conversation for today, Robson Baker, advisor at Claris Benefit Groups. Robson, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience and for being a Shift Shaper. I appreciate it. And thank you so much, David. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. 